house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Excuse me? Major Goodwin has a theory that he can tell who's walked in space just by looking at it. It is more than a theory. You keep your eye on this one. She'll show you how it's done. I'm so proud of you. Love you to the moon and back. You know Michael Collins? Of course, Apollo 11 that flew the command module for Neil and Buzz. So you know that after he dropped them, he circled the moon for hours. Inside the module, he wrote, I am now truly alone and absolutely alone from any known life. I am it. I'm it. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that will trick you into eating seal flipper pie. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my stringy blonde crisis wig, Chris File. Hello, Chris. I love that I'm a disguise for you. (laughs) A really (laughs) shitty disguise. I did chuckle, not to just jump to the very end of the movie, but I did chuckle this time where it's like she ditches her like shitty trench coat and her shitty blonde shake and go and like thinks that she'll just be able to like run off. Like, yes, there are more than one um, upset looking white woman running (laughs) through this parking garage at this very moment. Oh, boy. What a mess this movie was. So, did we see this? Is this another one that we saw together? Yes, we did. We and did. we were none too pleased to do so. We were like, God, we have to go fucking see It was this late thing. tiff. It was like second to it, last day. It was first thing in the morning with like no competition against what else we would see. We were not... We did not have high expectations because other people had already seen it. Okay, refresh my memory. Had the trailer for this movie come out before the festival started? The trailer came out for this movie at like the beginning of the year. Right. Right. So, like, because I think they timed it with like an episode of Fargo or something. Anyway, it was out, the trailer was out for a very long time with no release plan. And people were like, that's very strange. We have this full trailer. It looks kind of interesting. But of course, the whole Fox Michigas. Right. Like, we had no idea when this movie was coming, and I think right. by the time Toronto came, and then specifically when we saw how it was scheduled in Toronto... I was going to say, you talk all the time about those late-in-the-week TIFF premieres, where like they will hide you until most of the press, who are not psychos like you and me who stay for the whole thing. Like, most of the press leaves by, like, Monday, Tuesday. And... I looked this up, it premiered on the following wednesday <laughs> yep yeah i so, don't i can't think of another one that premiered that late like even stonewall was pretty late stonewall like, i think was like thursday friday oh see i wasn't going at that point friday like that's when i saw it was a critic screening on friday which makes me feel like it premiered thursday night wow yeah, yeah it premiered for the public on wednesday and for the press on thursday yeah yeah 
Um, so that was a clue. <laughs> Definitely a clue <laughs> as to what we were expecting. We were also, and we also just knew that, like, the 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 variance was high. Like, the chances for it to be bad were kind of high. I think the bloom was a little bit off the Noah Hawley rose at this point. We can, we'll definitely talk about that. But like Natalie had sort of defied the expectations already with Jackie, where like a lot, like there was people were not definitely not sure that Jackie was going to work. And like people who, there were people who saw Jackie and didn't think Jackie worked. It was pretty divisive, but like, so I think there was a little bit of like glimmer of hope, but also wait, was this the Vox Lux year or the year after Vox Lux? The year after Vox Lux. This was the John F. Donovan year, though. No, John F. Donovan was at the same tip. Was it as Vox Lux? As Vox Lux? Okay. Vox Lux. Okay. Yes. She, yeah. Natalie in Toronto has had a real interesting <laughs> go of it. <laughs> Truly. Like highs and lows. Um, but. Uh, previous episode anywhere but here, uh, world premiered there, right? I believe that's I, I believe that that's right. I want to look up Black Swan really quickly because I feel like that was definitely like a festival movie. I'm not sure what was the uh, the whatever. Well, that was a Venice movie, right? Didn't that like have a? No, big... I'm pretty sure that was Toronto. That was, was like a Toronto gala. I remember all this crap already. But then when we do an episode on something, it will truly never leave my mind. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Black Swan. Venice premiere, then Telluride, then Toronto. So like it did like yeah. the whole run. Um but it was it was September 1st, 2010 at Venice. Um cuz I feel like it like won won something at Venice that year maybe or something. I don't know. Black Swan. Yeah. It won uh Mila Kunis got the like young star prize. That's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, best young actor or actress. The Mar- but, Marcello uh, Mastriani but... Award. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, Natalie Portman, we love her. It is our sixth Natalie Portman movie. We will be doing a little bit of a quiz um, in a little bit to commemorate our sixth Natalie Portman film. Um, we're dipping back into the 2019 waters for the first time since Catsisode. Um, we felt it was necessary. I've been dying to do this episode. To, uh, talk about Lucy in the Sky with Diapers. I mean, we've called it Lucy in the Sky with Diapers for a very good reason. It is based on, sort of, like, you know, it's not the true, even the terrifying true story, but it is inspired by, um, a NASA astronaut named, uh, Lisa Lisa Nowak, who, um, among other things... Uh, was arrested for stalking somebody and she had driven like for like 32 hours or whatever with a weapon in the car and like had like strapped on a pair of adult diapers so that she wouldn't have to stop and which there is some there's some uh refuting of that she has apparently since claimed that that has never happened even though it's in the police report right yes um, and, uh, for the five of you who saw the not very good movie Rough Night, you have seen it documented in that film and lampooned in that not good movie. Right. That one I had more fun with than Lucy in the Sky, I will say. I had some fun with Lucy in the Sky. Um, but yeah, uh, uh if you had to guess 
all the line, all that astronaut dick is making you soft. If you had to guess if it was in Rough Night or Lucy in the Sky, <laughs> I don't think you would have guessed that it was in Lucy in the, the Sky. The thing that I had forgotten about all that astronaut dick has made you soft is that not only does Academy Award winner Ellen Burstyn, old Murph herself, say that line, but it's the ghost of Ellen Burstyn's character who says that line. Like, it is Mm -hmm. even better than I had remembered. Like, it's, it's literally just, like, from beyond the grave to go and impart this message about astronaut dick to Natalie Portman. On the... um... It's quite the line. The we we uh, what I'm saying is we nominated the wrong legendary actress for playing an unhinged grandma in a in a <laughs> movie is what I will say. We missed that boat. We should have done it for Ellen Burstyn in uh, in Lucy in the Sky. Um, yeah, this was worse the second time. <laughs> is what I will say. Well, okay, I feel like you can see. I kind of feel like this movie is not as bad as its reputation, but also in saying that there's like not much good I can say about it, but like the problem yeah, the problem is there's not like the good stuff is all sort of like in spite of the actual filmmaking. I think the filmmaking is pretty like embarrassing. Embarrassing and amateurish at times and like Noah Hawley yeah. doesn't have anything to say. The good things are and I also think Natalie's performance is not a really good performance. Like I feel like I feel bad that we keep like choosing the movies where it's just like Natalie's not <laughs> at her best. Um We did anywhere but here. That's she's true. She's that. great in that. And actually I, I really like do movie. like her in Other Bowling Girl. Um but I'm thinking about Goya and I'm thinking about Death and Life of John F. Donovan and now I'm thinking about this one. Um this movie she's kind of Doing in uh, in uh, other Bolane girl, all that astronaut dick made her besotted. <laughs> all that Tudor dick made her uh, made her besotted. Yeah. Um, also, Ellen Burstyn's ghost says that in that movie. It's really strange. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? She sounds like she's doing her best Holly Hunter impersonation with this accent. And I know sometimes they focus too much on accents, but like it's very distracting, and it's very. Natalie doesn't mind if you focus on an accent. I'm sure because she likes to she she likes to go in on an accent, a dialect. She uh, it's it's becoming a calling card for her. Yeah, this is not. A and great it's one. Uh, we love the high wire act. We feel like we are on it with her. Yeah. Um, sometimes plummeting to to our death. Um, <laughs> sometimes yes. Sometimes um, flying high in the sky. Yeah. With divers. So yeah, this movie had the unfortunate timing of coming out in the same general area as the 20th Century Fox sale to Disney. And so this, what were the other movies that sort of got lost in that shuffle? Uh, well, Widows was kind of like the first one where you could tell that after the Disney buyover, they weren't going to really put any effort into the Fox, the 20th Century Fox or the Fox Searchlight movies. Mm. This is like, Searchlight was left kind of independent on their own in the previous yes. season. So you have like the favorite still running on the Fox Searchlight people. This is the Fox Searchlight year where Disney is taking over a little bit more. And yeah. really the only, one of those movies they put an effort behind is Jojo Rabbit. Right. Because um, they had this, and they also had Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, which is really great. Um, but yeah, like this one you could tell from when 
I mean, not right when that trailer premiered. And I think people knew about the movie when the trailer came out of like, you know, diaper astronaut that we've called it. Yes. Um, yeah. Once you, once you knew the story that it was based on and people were sort of aware, aware of it at the time. Cause like this movie was in production for, a, was in the works for a while. It was called pale blue dot. It was being produced by Reese Witherspoon that she, I think as with most things that Reese Witherspoon produces at some point, somebody decides that, she's going to star in it. And whether that's, you know, an actual plan or whether that's something that we all assume um, that was going to happen at some point. And then, you know, she's just producing it and probably better for her that she didn't. I don't think, I don't think this is the kind of movie where I'm like, Oh, what if like the Reese Witherspoon version of this one could have been more interesting. I think the problems with this are, uh, are on the page and behind. Yeah. The the only version of this movie that, um, could be interesting is the not Noah Hawley version of this movie. Right, exactly. That's where the problem is. You the really, problem is really Natalie needed... Portman. Even if you think she's bad, I still don't think, you know, this. the failure of this movie is her fault. So many directors that Natalie herself had worked with previously would have been actually amazing to direct this movie, right? Like, once you got Natalie on board, you could have, like, quietly sort of, like, iced out Noah Hawley and brought in... I mean, literally, any Darren Aronofsky, Pablo Lorraine, um, who are some other Brady Corbett, even honestly, Brady Corbett, yes, honestly, true. Um, now I'm going through her sort of filmography. I mean, seeing... even someone like Wayne Wang. I'm going to keep bringing up anywhere but here this episode. Do it. Even someone like Wayne Wang has like a good sense of female characters and like finding the nuance of like a central character in an interesting way that this movie never does in its yeah. two hour runtime. Yep. She could have gotten Zach Braff, her old garden state director <laughs> to direct Lucy in the sky. And Not Zach better. Braff's Lucy in the sky. It would have been better is what I'll say. Um, oh, no. she's got a lot of directors who are no longer alive. That's kind of a bummer. Oh no. Mike Nichols. Obviously. Ted Demi. Um, Anthony Minghella. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bummer. It really bummed us out here. Um, who directed her Paris Chatem segment? Oh, that's a good question. I forget. Honestly, get Luke. Oh, Besson. Tom Tickver. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, get Tom Tickver. Like that's and Luke Besson and together, together again, together. Um, yeah. Any anything would have would get Wong Kar Wai. Her, uh, her, um, my blueberry night's director. Anyway, yes. Uh, Noah Hawley is somebody who. Should we wait till after we do the plot description to get into the Noah Hawley of it all? Yeah, like we, that's can, a longer we conversation. can. We can. It's a longer conversation. All right. Um, but yeah, just to set this up, I've been wanting to do. I feel like I've been sort of pushing this on you for a little bit. We're just like, we got to do Lucy in the Sky. Um, <laughs> this movie that we both saw together and did not care for. Um, but it's. It definitely was the kind of movie where people were like, but on paper, because, like, there was a moment where Noah Hawley was kind of a darling, and Natalie's at a really interesting part in her career, coming off of the Jackie nomination, and, like, 
you know, it sounds like an, it's an interesting story in, in the potential of it, right? This, mm-hmm. like, female astronaut who goes over the edge. Like, boom, into it. Absolutely. And this well, and it's not like a Vox Lux thing, which I don't want to say too much about Vox Lux because we're gonna we'll do it eventually at some point. do an episode yeah. on it. Yeah. But, like, Vox Lux was the type of thing that it was like, oh, the second we saw it, because we didn't really know what it actually was until we saw it. And then it was like, no, that's not that's not a thing. That's not happening. But, like, this isn't that far afield of something that could or has happened. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And he sort of the the approach that they take with this movie is actually really character focused, right? Like it doesn't like the plot of what happens at the end of the movie, like things lead up to that, but the movie isn't really about the, you know, the harrowing cross country journey to go spray bug spray at John Hamm. Like, it's not even like you could have seen a version of a movie where like there's a frame story and like literally she's like driving down and unhinged and you're sort of like you see the rest of the story in flashback or whatever. It's not that. Most of the story is a character study about this woman who goes to space and can't handle it coming back. And like that's a cool approach if you don't make it embarrassing when you do it. And that's like and where like your only real contribution is just like sometimes the frame is square. Because her life and sometimes is sometimes it's moving around. And sometimes, and sometimes it, yeah. it's really narrow. And sometimes it's like a one-to-one aspect ratio. My favorite like, thing about the ra- the aspect ratio Olympics in this is that, like, you sort of... It, he sets the rules at the beginning, mostly, that, like, it's one-to-one when she's in her drab little square box life, right? And every time we see her in space or she's sort of, like... Her, she's like emotionally sort of back in that space. We get widescreen, except for the one establishing shot of the golf course by Mama's house or whatever. And it's just like, why does the golf course get to be in widescreen? Like glorious widescreen? Is that like Ellen Burstyn's happy place in this like film? I kind of don't think. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was just like, it just felt very amateur. That whole uh, levitation sequence where it's like it equates. Where it's like they they keep moving them around too, like it's shifting across the screen. Where it's like it equates liftoff with him going down on her. Right. It's, it's that's it's the opposites. worst part of the movie. It's the opposites of it. He's going down and she's floating up. Okay. All right. right. So yikes. We're gonna set the stage for this, and I'm gonna make Chris tell the plot of this this bad movie. All right. We are talking about <laughs> uh, the former uh, film formerly known as Pale Blue Dot, 2019's Lucy in the Sky, directed by Noah Hawley, written by Brian C. Brown, Elliot DiGiuseppe, and Noah Hawley, starring Natalie Portman, John Hamm, Zazie Beetz, Ellen Burstyn, Dan Stevens, Pearl Amanda Dixon, Nick Offerman. Jeffrey Donovan, Jeffrey Donovan's Nerd Glasses, uh, Coleman Domingo. It premiered on September 11th, 2019, uh, at the Toronto International Film Festival, and then opened limited and stayed limited uh, on October 4th, 2019. Would you, Chris, like me to tee you up for a 60-second plot description? Hey, you know what? Why not? All right, let's do this. Uh, What's one of her, like, countdown phrases? Oh God! I feel I don't like know. I couldn't do her voice. <laughs> Just do your best, Holly Hunter. Just do your best, Sarah Paulson, doing Holly Hunter. Well, if I'm gonna do my Holly Hunter, it's gonna be out of the side of my mouth. I mean, that's basically kind of what she's doing. It's so weird. No, right. she's not. She's just kind of making a very small. She's almost doing her best, Hillary Swank. 
Oh, Hillary God. Swank on three packs of cigarettes. <laughs> uh, listeners, uh, chime in with who you think Natalie Portman is modeling her accent in Lucy in the Sky after, because now you have to go and watch Lucy in the Sky, because uh, we told you to. All right, Chris, one minute is cool. currently on the clock. Are you ready for Lucy in the uh, Sky? Uh, all signals are go. All right, and begin. All right, we're following Lucy Cola. She's returning from space. She is a NASA astronaut struggling to adjust. She is married to a very boring Dan Stevens, um, and she very quickly gets into an affair with a fellow astronaut played by John Hamm, who's kind of somewhat of an alcoholic, and then that ends up cooling. And it turns out he is actually starting a relationship with a fellow astronaut named Aaron, played by Zazie Beetz. Anyway... All the time, Lucy is kind of slowly starting to show signs of unraveling. She's stopping going to therapy. She seconds. almost drowns in a test mission. Um, anyway, she gets taken off of the next flight mission, and that's what really sets her off. She's not going to be back in space for another three years. She ends up crossing state lines in a disguise, uh, not a diaper, we don't see it, um, to stalk her uh, uh to stalk John Hammond's AC beats and then she kind Ten of uh, assaults him with bug spray and then gets arrested and then uh goes and lives on a bee farm. She does. She finds she, peace, I guess. I guess. Takes her little mask off and uh goes unencumbered among the bees and the the screen is as wide as you please. Um yeah, good job. Time's up. Okay. So Oh, where to begin? Where to begin with this dumb version of this potentially? There's a lot of extraneous stuff that doesn't add anything to the movie. So it just feels like it's giving you the same note, the same observation, the same aesthetics Mm -hmm. over and over for two hours. I feel like if this movie was 90 minutes long and cut a lot of the. Uh, extraneous stuff in this movie it would at least be serviceable yeah i don't think it would be interesting no but it wouldn't be such a boring slog you know it's a very um, it's it, it, you feel every minute of the two hours and four minutes that you're watching this film and so and, okay like, things happen that i like missed in there like her grandmother dies and that factors into it but like there's no levels to it it's not like it doesn't right. feel like it's building to a certain level of psychosis or building to a certain amount of stress or dissociation throughout the movie it's just like these things happen you can't really tell which is as impactful and which isn't right your only little roadmap is the dumb little aspect ratio thing so in your uh plot description you made a point of mentioning that dan stevens is very boring and like (laughs) yes true except for the fact that i would die for boring dan stevens in this movie like he's so because it's like it's a very benign very decent he's very decent he's like he's you know he's a square he's you know he's again not to like you know reference the aspect ratios but he's he's you know he's a square (laughs) and here's the other thing is that like fucking john ham's character is just as fucking boring it's just from this like opposite end of it and he's like yeah he's like an astronaut but he like he's like the most typical, like, oh, I'm going to flirt by, like, showing you how to bowl and whatever. He's just, like, constantly carrying around a six-pack. So it's like, so you know, pretty dull. much all you know about this character. Yeah. The only time you're given any bit of, like, interest, like, why is he doing that about that character is easily five minutes you can cut out where he's just sitting at home 
drinking, watching the and Challenger, watching the Challenger explosion, over and, over. and rewinding it, and watching it again, and we don't care. Why are we being asked to care about him? Like, watch it. Like, I feel like the Challenger explosion is in there because there's not enough space stuff in this movie. Yeah, they got like a studio note that there's not enough NASA yeah. in the yeah. movie or something. So, which it really isn't. Like, it's categorized on IMDb as a science fiction movie. It is not. It's not. It's barely no. even a space movie. No. Well, this is uh, somebody made that observation on the internet one day, and it kind of blew my mind about like not everything that happens that not every movie that takes place in space is science fiction. Stuff has happened in space, and I'm just like, oh yeah, like we're so conditioned to be like you know, space the final frontier and all of this stuff, and it's just like no, right. like gravity isn't science fiction. Gravity Apollo fully takes is quite literally right, not science fiction. Right, like gravity is a fictional story of something that never happened, but it fully is within the realm of everything that we know is possible right now, and it's just like okay. <laughs> um, my John Hamm thing that I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, and it does not make me very popular, but I'm just going to say it again. I don't think he's ever been good in a movie. So this movie... Not even Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids is the closest he comes. And if I'm going to give you Bridesmaids, fine. If he's in a small supporting role in a comedy, fine. But like every time they try and put him in a drama, it's just... It's a flop. He's just a flop. And it's like in this movie, it's like, it's true in this. It's true in Richard Jewell. It's true in Bad Times at the El Royale. It's true in fucking Baby Driver and The Town. And I mean, name a movie. Most of the time he's getting cast as an asshole or like basic authoritarian male. Sure. But like other actors have done well in, in... Parts yeah, like that he before. can't. He can't be an interesting bureaucrat the way that like uh, Stanley Tucci is an interesting bureaucrat. But like, we've given him so many chances. Like, I like I, I my kingdom for somebody to point me to a movie that he's great in. I will. I will even give you like give you know. But like, oh my god, it's so frustrating. And because he looks like he does, and because he was so great on Mad Men, which he was, he's great on Mad Men, I'm not taking, you know, any kind of, you know, I'm not insane. I'm not an insane person. But, like, name a movie, like, find me a movie that he's great in. You can't do it. You can't do it. I think he's at least a little bit more believably cast in this movie. Like, you could imagine an unwell person having an affair with him because, like... Yes. I think this uh, is... Not to put too gross of words on it, but he probably knows what he's doing. Um, that, But that is why he keeps getting cast. He keeps getting cast as people who could plausibly fuck your brains out. Like, that is John Hamm. <laughs> right? Like, that sort Listen. of... He's, if we would have our own typecasts, I think we wouldn't do that well. Ben Affleck we is would, making. We would be blessed to be our typecast be person who will fuck your brain. Here's the question. Here's Ben Affleck is sitting down to make the town. Ben Affleck has, after taking a grand total of one movie where he's directing it and not starring in it, and it's too much for Ben Affleck, so he decides he's got to star in the town. And so Ben Affleck then has to find, uh, has a conundrum, which is I am the romantic lead of the town. In as much as there is Rebecca Hall, who has a romantic storyline with Ben Affleck's character. I need to find somebody who could plausibly draw Rebecca Hall away from me. A Herculean task, because I am Ben Affleck and I find myself to be wildly irresistible. So who can I bring in? I have to bring in fucking dick swinging John Hamm to be like the like most like handsome person from television, to be the only person who could like like turn Rebecca Hall's like eye away. It's like that's that's the that's the brief. 
when John Hamm gets hired, and like that's why he keeps getting hired. And like I just make that make that person interesting. Do it once. I really want it to happen. And you're right about bridesmaids. I will give you bridesmaids. But like it's a it's a whole different assignment there. And I think well, the uh, it's a different assignment because like it is a self aware. He's like, funny on Thirty Rock. It's that kind of a thing. Like he's very funny on Saturday Night Live, and he's very funny on Thirty Rock. And I think people like Kristen Wiig and Tina Fey know how to. It's like what Kristen Wiig did with Jamie Dornan in Barb and Star, right? Like she's just mm-hmm. like she's smart about that kind of shit. And I think in Bridesmaids they use him absolutely perfectly. And if those are the roles that he keeps getting cast in do that hollywood like keep casting him in that stop putting him stop putting him in dramas where you need somebody to make this character interesting because maybe there's deficiencies on the page and he's not the guy who's going to make up for it like i will die on that hill (laughs) no i i think you're onto something here you could conceivably imagine someone who uh, at least brings some more dimension to this uh character because i don't really think he brings any whatsoever no none Um, Absolutely none. He's going to be... To the point where it's like, why is Zazie Beetz fucking him? I kind of get why Lucy is, but right. I don't get Zazie why Zazie Beetz is, is way too good for him. You are young and vibrant, hon. Like, you are just an entirely in a different league, this guy. Um, by the way, before we get off of the John Hamm subject, he's going to be next in Top Gun Maverick, where his character's name is... No. is Where his character's name is Vice Admiral, Vice Admiral Cyclone. Get the actual fuck out of here, Top Gun Maverick. You are stupid. I have had several friends ask me, oh, well, will you be excited for Top Gun? No. 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 No, I won't be. I'm sorry. I don't like Top Gun. No, I don't. Sorry. I'm I'm probably making somebody mad. But whatever. The Top Gun people are fine. They'll be fine. No. The cast on that movie is way is like way more than that movie deserves. No, but it's like it's way better than it deserves. Like Glenn Powell is great. Like okay, Ed, Har- Ed Harris is in that movie. Jennifer Connelly eternally deserves better. Manny Jacinto's in that movie in a small role, and it's just like God bless like that gorgeous man and like put him in something better. I know a billion people are going to see this movie and we're going to have egg on our face and whatever, but like I still think it looks stupid and I just I don't think we need stupid. it. Yeah. Um, anyway, Zazy beats. Anyway, this was sort of the the time period where. People just started casting Zazie Beats and whatever. It was just uh, Zazie Beats accursed uh, twenty nineteen. Yeah, because it's this Joker and what's the other one? Seaberg. I also think was at TIFF. Seaberg. Oh yeah, no one saw Seaberg. Right, but so she's in Atlanta in what year is Atlanta? Uh, twenty sixteen. It premieres and. She sort of gets put on the map for that, and they people start sort of casting her in things. I remember I was talking to somebody uh, over the weekend because I said I was, I was we were doing this movie, um, and so we got to talk about ZZ Beats, and I talked about how I saw Geostorm in 4DX. <laughs> this is the only reason I saw Geostorm in a theater is because my friend Patrick and I wanted to go see it in 4DX, and we did, and it was a <laughs> jostling time. Like I felt more just like. Sometimes 4DX aggressed. Sometimes 4DX works. I've only seen it a few times. So like I saw the Meg in 4DX and it was like we were all on the same page and we were all moving in sync. 4DX for Geostorm, I just felt I kept getting like jostled to the point where I was like sliding out of my seat. I was just like, <laughs> I don't need this. You're just literally just like shaking me loose from the seat. Like, but Zazie Beats, my one like positive 
takeaway from Geostorm, I was like, Zacy Beats is a star. And, you know, we will eventually, you know, find the right thing for her. I am not a Deadpool person. And I don't believe you are either. She was in Deadpool I, too. I, no, absolutely not. Like, good for um, her. Get that money. She was in... Oh, God. She was in a movie that is now far more cursed than it was before. Um, it might have been direct to Hulu, a movie called Wounds that uh oh yeah that was uh the 2019 movie that nobody liked starring um everybody's famous favorite uh cannibal Har- army hammer um and a fully wasted dakota johnson like that movie just like fully has dakota johnson and zz beats and does not know what to do with either one of them it's actually not Oof. that bad of a movie but like it's junk she's in high flying bird the Soderbergh movie. Sorry, did you see Wounds? Did you have anything to say about Wounds before I moved on? I have nothing to say about Wounds. I was going to posit, what would Lucy in the Sky be like in 4DX? <laughs> it would be like you're just constantly being lift up and dropped down. You'd get Your that bug spray right to the face, Like, you'd get that full face of, bl- of bug spray at the end when she... Uh... John Hamm goes down on you. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the full 4DX experience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And uh, the changing aspect ratio of your seat. Yeah, you can smell the cigarettes on Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, yeah. Stacey that- Beats, though, she has a movie that's finally coming out that played Sundance a whole year and a half ago that I've seen uh, with Winston Duke called Nine Days. Oh. That's a cool movie. I've heard good things about that. Opens. Yes, I have. I have uh, I've heard good things. It's her Winston Duke. I feel like you will like that movie. Cool. And that's coming out finally. Yes. Nice. In like a month. And she is in a movie that I talked about when I was on uh, the Little Gold Men podcast when we were previewing 2021 that I'm very interested, which is the uh, the all-black western The Harder They Fall where she's Very cast along with Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Delroy Lindo, Regina King, Lakeith Stanfield. Like, it's just uh, insane cast, cinematography by Sean Bobbitt, and uh, directed by James Samuel. And it seems pretty cool, and I'm looking forward to it. It is a Netflix movie, so, you know temporary expectations i suppose but like i'm very very into what this movie ends up being so same excited for zazie beats for that um yeah so she doesn't get a ton to do in this movie but i like her whenever she's on screen she plays that last scene with portman at like natalie's bug sprays john ham and then she you think for a second you're worried for zazie beats because at that point she's the only good person besides the niece She's the only sort of good person in the, the movie. The useless niece. That poor niece. Like, she really gets taken for a ride, literally, in that film. Um, Serves so little purpose in the movie that you... I spent most of the movie, the first time I watched it, wondering, okay, so she's going to be an imaginary friend in some way. Right. She's the Lila to um, Natalie Portman's Eve. Or is, was it the other way around? Because there's no other purpose she serves. And especially if this is a fictionalized version of someone's life, like if it's very real- funny that they they go that whole real intricate backstory where she's Natalie's brother's daughter, and there's all this stuff about like Natalie's brother is irresponsible, and she had to end up raising him, even though she was the younger sister, and yada yada yada. And we never meet him, and it never really comes of anything. And I yeah, I'm always very puzzled. That feels like something you would put in there if you were making a TV show and then like, well, next season we'll bring the brother on and we'll sort of like seed that. But like, that's not what's happening here. And 
I don't know. I mean, I guess she gets to read a poem at the end of the movie and Dan Stevens smiles at it. So it's like, right. Not everybody's life is screwed up by this. Right. Like, well, she's like, turn of she's got her head on straight during that. She's the only person who's like, she's probably the reason why John Hamm is alive at the end of that movie. Cause she takes the gun out of uh, Natalie's purse and, and hides it in her own bag. But I think as I was saying about just to close the loop on Zazie, um, she plays that scene well, where Natalie sort of turns to her and instead of assaulting her, sort of like plays solidarity with her and just like, we have mm-hmm. to stick together. We get, we can't, you know, get taken in by these men who are going to take us for granted. And, and I think is trying, I mean, again, here's where the psychology of the story sort of feels very haphazard. I think, don't think the movie for as much as it focuses so intently on like Natalie's like, psyche in this film doesn't really know entirely like what like what is this Zazie Beats character her does she see herself in her is she and it's and it's there's a lot of sort of haphazardness about and obviously we're talking about a woman with a very erratic sort of state of mind by the end of this movie but um that's a it's an odd scene that I think Zazie Beats plays very well mm-hmm. so good for yeah her. I agree Good for her. Um, we're sort of working from the bottom up from the cast here. Do we have anything really to say about Coleman Domingo or Nick Offerman or Tignataro, who shows up at the bowling alley? Uh, for Not really, uh, though I am always happy to see Coleman Domingo, who's probably Absolutely. like the best performance in this movie, I with know. like two scenes being like her NASA director. Right. Um, Ellen Burstyn is just very weird and is just kind of there to be crass. I mean, we've seen this kind of performance from Ellen Burstyn. So like sometimes I feel like sometimes it's basically her performance from Wiener Dog, just without sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen Wiener Dog, so I will uh, trust you on that. But uh, uh, I'm I'm into that comparison. Um, she's like she's like vulgar granny, right? Again, she's just sort of like mm-hmm. she's sitting on her porch. She's smoking right next to her oxygen tank, so she's like, you know, devil may care, whatever. She's staring at that widescreen golf course for all it's worth. Um, And she's there to kind of, I guess, to show sort of the stock that that Lucy comes from a little bit in this movie. She's this very sort of tough lady with kind of high expectations for Lucy. And... Mm -hmm. That's, I guess, the story reason why she's there. And then also so that she dies and sort of sends Natalie off the deep end because that's the last person who she really felt understood her. And and her death sends her into a literal Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds mm-hmm. like music video sequence. It becomes music video. the thank you video. Truly. Where it's like fast streets. It's, it's ray of light behind Natalie Portman. <laughs> And she just like floats into that was an effect that was in a lot of music videos. Ray of Light is the right comparison, but like there's a lot like that was a very, very oft used music video trope that uh, I miss the days of music videos. I miss the days of like uh, subway trains moving quickly behind uh, somebody (laughs) or whatever. Right. You miss the Zephyr in the sky at night. I do. Well, I think we all do. I mean, come on. So. All right. Natalie Portman. This is our sixth Natalie Portman movie. Our previous ones were, uh, our very first one was, no, I don't have the thing in front of me, but I think the very first one was Brothers, right? Am I, no, Anywhere But Here, I think, came before Brothers. Yeah, that was very early. It was. 
Um, yeah, it was like very early. Hold on. Yeah, our 24th uh, film. Then Brothers. Then we didn't have a, any Natalie for a while. And then we went on another sort of like mini binge where we covered Goya's Ghosts at long last. The Death and Life of John F. Donovan. And uh, The Other Boleyn Girl, most recently. And now Lucy in the Sky. So that makes six. So if you have been listening to us, you know that when we cover an actor or actress for the sixth time... We make a big old fuss. We, you know, throw a dinner in their honor. We invite them and all their, you know, closest friends and family. We all go to karaoke after. It's like a tradition that has, like, long-standed. I think we all remember the year that uh, Meryl Streep sang the Fong song at Six Timers Karaoke. It was great. <laughs> um, but what we, all, what we also do is I write a little quiz for Chris here and... See how much he knows about these six Natalie Portman films that we have covered on here. Did I, did I miss anything? Uh, no. That That's what we do that's here. That's what we do, right? That's th- what we do. Can we repeat the titles for our listeners and for myself? Yes. We have. We have Anywhere But Here, uh, Brothers, Goya's Ghosts, The Death and Life of John F. Donovan, The Other Boleyn Girl... And uh, Lucy in the Sky with uh, diapers. Is that only five? No, that's six. What do you have? Goya, Donovan, Brothers, Boleyn. Anywhere but here, Boleyn. Yeah, that's six. That's six. All right. So we're going to start off pretty simple. Which of those six films is the longest? Oh, um... Is it Lucy? No, it's it is Lucy in the Sky. It is Lucy in the Sky by one minute. It is uh, 124 minutes. Lucy in the Sky. The Death and Life of John F. Donovan is 123 minutes. Oh, I thought it was shorter than that. Never mind. Which is the shortest of the six? Um, Brothers. Brothers is like 90 minutes, right? 105. But yes, Brothers is the shortest. Ah. Very good. Which film features a screenplay? By a two-time Academy Award-winning screenwriter. Two-time winner for screenplay. Yes. Is it anywhere but here? No, it's... um. No, it is anywhere but here because Jim Sheridan is brothers, and I don't think he's won twice. No, you're right. It is anywhere but here. It is a screenplay. It was... Uh, Screenplay was written by Alvin Sargent, who has two Oscars for writing uh, Being, or I'm sorry, uh, Ordinary People and Julia. Not Being Julia, but uh, just Julia. The the good movies. Jane Fonda and uh, Jason Robards film. Yes. Okay. Uh, Next question. Which film features a screenplay by a two time Oscar nominated screenwriter? That is Brothers. No. Um, and I'm just going to make sure, because you did mention the Jim Sheridan thing, and now I want to make sure. Maybe he didn't write it. Otherwise, is it Other Boleyn Girl? It is the Other Boleyn Girl, who is the screenwriter. Yeah, the screenplay on Brothers is David Benioff. It is not Jim Sheridan. Oh, yeah. not a two-time nominee. Yes. Uh, so who wrote the Other Boleyn Girl? Who did the uh, adaptation? Tom Stoppard? No. Wouldn't that be amazing, though, if it was? But it's, uh, it's a Brit. It's, um... It is a Brit. Whom's is it? Who was nominated uh, for a 
adapted screenplay, I want to say twice. No, original screenplay once, adapted screenplay for The Queen and Frost Nixon. Is it Lee Hall? No. Oh, no, it's Peter Morgan. It's Peter Morgan, yes. Oh, boy. Yes. Okay. Uh, no, Lee Hall was the guy who did uh, the Cats screenplay when we did our Judy Dench quiz last week. Okay. <laughs> Which is the only film where Natalie Portman doesn't co-star with a Best Actress nominee? Um, Brothers. No. Who's the best actress nominee? Mare Winningham's in that movie, but she's a supporting she's nominee. She's a supporting nominee. Yeah. Th- who's the other actress? Oh, Carrie Mulligan is in that movie. Yes. Um, obviously not anywhere but here. Um, is it? It's not the death and life of John F. Donovan because Susan Sarandon's in that too. Um, oh, it's this. It's Lucy in the Sky. No. Oh, Ellen Burstyn. Duh. Okay. Um, it's not the other Boleyn girl. It's not anywhere but here. It is Goya's Ghost. It is Goya's oh, Ghost. Right, because she's the only woman. Right. <laughs> exactly. She stars opposite herself. Maybe that counts. Um, That's yes. true. Okay. Uh, which are the two films where she stars opposite two Best Actress nominees? Um. Uh, other Boleyn girl. Right. Who? Scarlett Johansson, Kristen Scott Thomas. Correct. And uh, Death and Life of John F. Donovan, uh, Sarandon, and Kathy Bates. Very good. I almost said that was a three-bagger, but I'm not counting Jessica Chastain. Yeah. Unfortunately. Okay. Unfortunately. Of which film did Roger Ebert say it was, quote, an extraordinarily beautiful film? Oh, boy. Um, is it extraordinarily beautiful extraordinarily I really beautiful. hope it's not goya's ghosts is it goya's ghosts goya's ghosts <laughs> oh raj buddy no uh-huh he called it an extraordinarily beautiful film en route to a fresh reading uh of which film did richard roper say was wrong 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 every step of the way death and life of john f donovan no lucy in the sky no Damn. Goya's Ghosts. Goya's Ghosts. <laughs> Good trick question. Thank you for that. All right. Which was the lowest rated on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, Death and Life of John F. Donovan. Correct. At 20%. Which two were tied for the highest rating on Rotten Tomatoes? Um, ooh. Anywhere But Here. Correct. And Brothers? Correct. Very good. Which film has a score by Thomas Newman? Uh, anywhere but here. No. Oh. Um, I'm pretty sure Dupla is the score in Berlin. Is it Brothers? It's Brothers. Yes. Yeah. Brothers with a score by Thomas Newman. Which film has cinematography by Roger Deakins? Brothers. No. Um. Oh. Anywhere but here. Anywhere but here. Yes. Yeah. Which film was a Teen Choice Award nominee? <laughs> the other Berlin Girl. The other Berlin Girl for? Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which film was released during Scorpio season? <laughs> um, so that would be late October. Um, that's not Brothers. That's not this. 
It's not Goya's Ghosts. Is it Anywhere But Here? Anywhere But Here, November 14th. Ah. All right. Which film's tagline is, tell me what the truth is? <laughs> uh, the Death and Life of John F. Donovan? No. Brothers? No. The tagline for Brothers is, Mommy has sex with Uncle Tommy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this fall, Mommy has sex with Uncle Tommy all the time. <laughs> um, okay, uh, it's not anywhere but here. That doesn't make any sense. It is it for some weird reason Goya's ghosts? It's Goya's ghosts. Yeah. It's the what Inquisition, the baby. It's the Inquisition, baby. Tell me what the truth is. Um, all right, final okay. question. Which film co-stars someone who won an Emmy Award for acting for an HBO series in 2018? Somebody won an Emmy Award for acting in 2018. Yes. And you said it was HBO. Yes. Uh, it's a lot of factors. Is it... Is it The Death and Life of John F. Donovan, since the cast is so huge? Oh, it's uh, Tandiwe Newton. It is Tandiwe Newton for The Death and Life of John F. Donovan. You got that a lot quicker than I thought you would. Um, yeah, she won an Emmy for she, Westworld in 2018. She's 2018. one of the better performances in that movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I just didn't know if you would, uh, A, remember her being in that, and B, remember that she won an Emmy for Westworld. Good job with the Natalie quiz. You do such a good job with these quizzes. Very happy with you. Uh, my brain is nothing if not a storage bin for useless shit. <laughs> All right. Should we do the Noah Hawley discussion? Uh, Mr. Hawley. So. I, um, I'd never have watched Fargo. Should I? I mean, I say no. Um, okay. I saw. I thought the first season was fine. I thought it the first like season was good. one of good. those shows that like kept getting like. Initially, now it feels like nobody watches it, but like got so much attention and so much like buzz around it. And then you actually talked to a human person and no one likes it. Oh, I've talked to a bunch of people who've liked Fargo. Like, I, I definitely have... like the Kirsten Dunst stuff. The first season of Fargo hit just as the, the, the limited series uh, kick was really ramping up. American Horror Story kind of reformulated the way we thought about miniseries and we like a you know sort of essentially birthed birthed this trend of limited series that could be that were different than just like we're adapting a novel in six parts or whatever like the miniseries Mm -hmm. used to be like angels in america or like the stand or stuff like that anyway fargo also sort of was at the right point where like movie stars are doing tv series now so it was Billy Bob Thornton giving this like great performance um, as this kind of like psycho. The callbacks to the movie were kind of not a big part of the show, but I think it was one of those things where people kept expecting it to like really like connect to the movie. And it only does a little bit, but in kind of a clever way. It's not a bad season. Alison Tolman's quite good in it. Um, even though <laughs> she does play a character who is a police uh, officer whose last name is Solverson, which is just funny. Um, she's going to solve that case. Uh, Colin Hanks is in it. Martin Freeman's in it. It's really good. Second season comes around. The cast is also fantastic. It's got like this tenuous connection to uh, to the first season in that Patrick Wilson is playing the father of 
of Alison Tolman's character. This is like a, whatever, it takes place several decades earlier. Kirsten Dunst is in it. Jesse Plemons is in it. This was the show where they sort of got together. Uh, Patrick Wilson, as I said, Gene Smart is in it, playing like, essentially like a leader of an organized crime family. Ted Danson's in it. Cast is fantastic. The problem that I had with the second season was, very early on, we get to a point where Kirsten Dunst's character and Jesse Plemons' character sort of get embroiled in a, they kill somebody accidentally, and rather than doing the thing that everybody in a movie should do, which is just call the cops. Just, like, say you killed somebody accidentally. Like, whatever. And instead, no, the entire storyline is going to be... They fully go, I know what you did last summer. They, like, they have to hide the body now, and they have to whatever. And it's just, like, I've seen this so many times. I was so weary of, like, another, like, ordinary people become criminals because they have to cover up a thing that they did accidentally. And I was just just so tired of it. And so I, like, quit the season then and there. I was just like, I love you, Kirsten, but, like, I can't do it. People really did like that season. The third season, again... Like, here's the theme. It's an excellent cast. That one is Ewan McGregor playing twins. Carrie Coon is in it. Who do I love more than Carrie Coon? Very few people. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in it. David Thewlis is in it. I don't remember what the reviews of that season were, but, like, still people were watching it and enjoying it. I watched season four, which was the most recent season, to review it. This is the one with Chris Rock and Jesse Buckley and Ben Wishaw, and it's uh, it is it is Noah Hawley deciding that he is going to do a series about um, the experience of black gangsters in Kansas City in God, when the hell even does that take place? Like the nineteen forties, thirties, something. I don't know. Um, maybe nineteen twenties, even. I don't know. Who's to say? The olden times. And I don't think Mark, or Noah Hawley's the person I would want to be putting in charge yeah. of telling that story. I don't, I didn't think it was good. I just, I just, top to bottom, didn't think it was good. I am also like the lone sort of nonplussed person about Jessie Buckley. I think she's fine in general. I think she's bad in season four of Fargo. I think Chris Rock is bad in season four of Fargo. Um, it was just poorly conceived and poorly executed, and I didn't really like it. But by then, I was like fully off of the Noah Holly train by that point. So it's just like right, I wasn't right, right. expecting to like it. Um, in the meantime, he had also done that show Legion, which was a, a sort of an X Files, or not X Files, X Men universe uh, show. And Lucy in the Sky is really the only other thing that he did. Like, it's so mm-hmm. funny. He has such a reputation, and he's done like very few things, but his name is always sort of in the mix for stuff and one of the things is yeah he's doing this new alien tv series is the sort of latest thing um but like fargo when it was especially doing really really well it was like winning awards and he was getting a lot of acclaim and he was on i we've probably talked about this certainly in private the thr roundtable that he was on for emmy season with the tv showrunners one of whom was Ava DuVernay. Now, I'm going to very quickly look this up just to see who else was in it, because the round table, like the makeup of the round table is important for this one, because it's like, oh, it's really interesting. Actually, 
Wow, it's a real interesting lineup. So it is Ava DuVernay, Ryan Murphy, Genji Cohen, uh, Lisa Joy, David E. Kelly. So like some big heavy hitters in this thing, right? And so one of the prompts is from the the Hollywood Reporter lady is name your favorite TV character that you didn't have anything to do with. Like that, you know, from something that is totally not yours. And I think somebody says Buffy and somebody says, I don't know, like Sipowitz or something like this, right? And already in this Hollywood roundtable, Noah Hawley has been sort of like pontificating in a way that like is kind of rubbing some people the wrong way. One of which is at some point he talks about how he doesn't feel like his job as a screenwriter is to preach to the audience about politics. And in oh the con- boy, right, right, and so that sort of like drew a reaction from some people. One of which, one of them being Ava, because um, also this is like summer 2017, so like Trump's just been elected. Like we're all going through this like very fraught time, and Noah Hawley doesn't feel like it's uh, it's a writer's responsibility to talk politics. So they go around, they get this prompt about who's your favorite character that you had nothing to do with. And they go around, and it gets to Noah Hawley, and he goes, oh, gotta be Omar. All right, a lightning round question for everyone. Who's your favorite character on TV that you have nothing to do with? Current, past? Archie Bunker. Molly Dodd. Buffy. Gotta be Omar. (laughs) Larry. Cersei Lannister. Uh, The O.A., um, and I think the THR person's just like from oh, the wire. I remember and, this. And he goes, I gotta be Omar. And literally next to him, Ava DuVernay Ava goes, laughs, right? she goes, <laughs> like that. She, like, she cannot help it. It's the most like derisive, <laughs> just like, and then, you, and then she just goes and she does that very sort of shady thing where she's just like, sorry, sorry. You know what I mean? Just like, and it's so <laughs> amazing. Fantastic. Seek this out, you guys. It is the shit. I will try to find it and put it on our Tumblr. It's so good. And it's like, and it's everything that I wanted somebody to say to Noah Holly during this, which is literally just like, just laugh. Just, just, yeah. uh, And it's because it's also, it's it's such a try hard answer, you know, from the white showrunner or whatever that like, I'm going to show my bona fides and I'm going to be like, Omar, yeah, from The Wire is the greatest, like, whatever. Which, again, fantastic show or whatever but it was like this was clearly like Noah holly was trying to put on the show and she was having none of it and it was fantastic so um i always talk about how noah holly uh has been deceased since summer of 2017 because of that so um <laughs> killed him dead on the spot and so anyway well so- i mean uh the movie he made certainly killed his movie career dead on the spot except Boy, no true? what was the project that got announced with him attached and we're like we're really doing this after lucy in the sky Oh, I thought that was the alien thing, but maybe not. No, I thought there was another movie. Hold let's on. Check, let's check the Keep old talking, IMDb. I'm Googling this. All right. Um, so, yes. So, already going. So, this was happening, like, again, two years before Lucy in the Sky. So, by this point, I am... His name attached to something is not really something that's going to... And I should say... Legion was a pretty divisive show, but, like, some people who liked it, like, really thought it was excellent and, like, really, really liked it. And so I don't want to, like, take that away from them or whatever. But, um... This is what it was, and he's already no longer attached. He was going to get Star Trek. Oh, right. He was going to get a Star Trek. Everybody at some point was about to get Star Trek, but yes, he's definitely one of those people. So, like, going into Lucy in the Sky, 
I think he's my biggest drawback because I'm just like, hey, so remember that thing where Noah Hawley is bad and I don't like his stuff. And unfortunately uh, for him and for Natalie Portman and for people who saw this movie, I was proved correct. And it's not a good film. And It's deeply pretentious. And it's pretentious because it has absolutely nothing to say. It doesn't have about a thing to say. Not a thing he to say. He tried to come out and say that it's this whole thing about mental health and it's like well if you think you've made a sensitive movie about mental health i actually think that you've objectified her worse than any version of the movie that would have the diaper in it um and reduced the uh you know intricacies of uh people who struggle with mental health issues the only real observation in this film is that somebody who goes to space can come back to earth and not be able to experience joy anymore and it's like and it's such a it's an incredibly basic observation right it's just like very and he doesn't do anything with it at all and like oh it'll make you you know it'll make you sad and also crazy and it's just like well great congratulations um yeah it doesn't go anywhere doesn't he doesn't have anything interesting to say and i think that's the biggest the problem. thing that he uh thinks is interesting for, to say for two hours is sometimes if you go to space you will come back depressed yeah and aspect ratios will change constantly. aspect ratios will change exactly yeah. um and like frames it also with like which is it's such a tv framing device which is she has these sessions with a psychiatrist, a sort of NASA-appointed psychiatrist, played by Nick Offerman. I'm fine. Right. Th- thank you, Holly Hunter, as Natalie Portman, as Lucy in the Sky. Um, and again, it's just very blunt and straightforward about the themes. Like, it does not really... Like, if you had any chance of, like, missing it, you're not going to. Because there's Nick Offerman saying that, like, sometimes when people come back from space, they can't even, like, walk straight. And she's like, that's how I felt after John Hamm went down on me. And (laughs) it's a whole goddamn thing. Well... Right. Well, I... the Talking about the framing of the story a little bit, I remember... The thing that you were most pissed about when we left the movie was the end scenes where she's a beekeeper for some reason. But also she's speaking back to, like, Rosetta Stone in her car doing French. And it gets to, uh, I'm sorry, and she turns the tape off. Yes. And I remember that making you so mad. I mean, it's dumb, right? It's stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. Also, there's the whole runner where she's, like, growing butterfly cocoons in a bell jar in her home. And then the one day she sees it's hatched and it's not a butterfly, but, like, a whole thing of wasps. And, like, first of all, I don't know. I don't know what you did wrong there, honey. You turned your butterfly into wasps. Um, but also, like, that's part of the thing, in addition to Ellen Burstyn's death that sets her off. And, like, that's one of the things she's sort of, when she's going on her, like, unhinged rant to Zazie Beats at the end, she's just like, sometimes it's supposed to be butterflies and it's instead it's wasps. And <laughs> now I'm, like, weirdly, like, quasi share in this, just like, I don't know, honey, it's just wasps. <laughs> um, where's my damn Picasso? It's full of wasps. Lucy in the share with Jack. <laughs> Uh, 
I wanted it to, if it was going to be bad, I did want it to be more fun bad. That's just why everybody keeps bringing up the astronaut dick line. It's because that's the one moment of like, just like campy enjoyment in it. And it needed. Yeah, it's if not it was the gonna crazy be, movie that a lot of people wanted. And no, I would never like, like have friends over to watch Lucy in the Sky. I can't imagine a like a bigger backhand to Noah Hawley and how, uh, you know, unworthy of Natalie Portman he is in this movie is it. It doesn't, he doesn't even have the latitude to, you know, make it be some type of leap where like Natalie Portman can go full Portman on it. Right. I wanted it to be, again, yes, full, like, give me Vox Lux or fucking nothing, man. Like, at this point, if I'm going to be in a Natalie Portman movie that's like, I'll put bad in scare quotes for Vox Lux, because generally my, my number grade for Vox Lux is like, uh, uh, an Egyptian hieroglyph or something. It's just like, it's just not a number. It's the all. party hat emoji. It's the, it's the emoji <laughs> blowing the little uh, blower. That's, that's it's, box. Luck. It's the upside down smiley face emoji. If you're not going to get, give me Jennifer Ely showing up in McQueen. <laughs> if you're not going to get me Raffi Cassidy being there, because of course she's there. Can we talk about speaking of Jennifer Ely? Because I know that you love her, and this is a full tangent that so like has much. nothing to do with it. You never. I can't believe that you haven't just been talking about Jennifer Ely plays a mean lesbian in Saint Maud like for the last however long since you've seen. Saint okay, Maud. except I saw that movie because Jennifer Ely was in it. I was like, oh, Midnight Madness. Jennifer Ely. Don't care about any of the rest of it. Uh-huh. That is. Maybe the exact wrong way to approach that movie is what. It, no, is what no. The right way is to not know that she's in it at all, and then to be surprised that Jennifer exactly. Ely's there, and then she's playing a mean lesbian who's dying, and it's just like, yes. I don't love that movie the way that some people love it. I mean, I agree. I liked it a lot. I think it. I thought it was plenty creepy, and I like a movie that will sort of go there in the way that that movie goes there. And I'm not going to really It's really not that creepy if you watch the trailer though, because I didn't the biggest stuff like, uh, for not to spoil it further, but the shoes is right there in the trailer. Uh, see, I didn't see the trailer. I guess I was, uh, I, I, I approached it very, uh, you know, I didn't know hardly anything about it. So that was, Mm. Good, and I was happy. And and again, I avoided that information for a long time because I only just saw it. But uh, yeah, even though the movie is a failure on a creative level because of its writer director Noah Hawley, it is still worth noting how this movie. I mean, like we've talked about movies that didn't really get released, like when we did uh, Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio, and it played like sixty theaters or something. Right? They had a wide release for this movie, but they did absolutely nothing for it i'm a little i mean maybe not because she goes to like premieres and stuff like that like natalie portman went to tiff for this but i don't think she did any press like searchlight fully just dumped the movie or disney we should say dumped this movie yeah yeah it made less than three hundred and fifty thousand dollars at the box office which is with a wider release, wide right. release being like five hundred or six. I was going to say it wasn't ever just like a big, but like yeah, it definitely it didn't like stay like you know twelve screens or whatever. But like it made very 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 little money. Um, it didn't by the time and like this was a fall release, but like by the time precursor season went around, it didn't even get like bullshitty precursor stuff. It just was incredibly invisible. It uh, got three nominations from the Academy of Science Fiction and Fantasy, which is not a thing we really talk about very much. 
uh, on this podcast. The Saturn um, Awards? Is that what the Saturn Awards are called? Uh, they could yes, be it two is. completely that different. Is, no, 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 it is. It's just listed at IMDb as Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror I mean, films. if they wanted the to call movie. it a thriller, <laughs> maybe, but this is not a science fiction movie. No, as we mentioned, it is not. Um, but it was nominated for Best uh, Science Fiction Film. It. <laughs> this is one of those things where uh, IMDb does not list what won. The disinterest, the absolute disinterest on IMDb's <laughs> part. Um, let me look up the Saturn Awards on Wikipedia. That might help. Doesn't Jewel have a song called Je- Saturn? No, it's Jupiter. It's like they can just award uh, Jewel's uh, Jupiter. <laughs> wow. Also, okay. Uh, also, oh, these ones are not. Did they just never hand these out because of the pandemic? Oh, shit. This is. Okay, yes. The eligibility oh. period got extended into November of 2020. Um, they will be held sometime in 2021. The nominations were announced this past March. So Lucy in the Sky is still active. It's an active awards case. Holy Everybody shit. Drop, okay. drop, so, your, drop your pens. I do think we actually need to rally around this and we need to get a Saturn Award for Lucy in the Sky because how? Yes, now we do. Wild. It is nominated in three categories, as I said. This is like, by the way, this is breaking news on a podcast. Like, we are, (laughs) and literally, I defy anybody to say they have heard this news before us. Like, you are hearing this for the first time on this head Oscar Buzz. We are now a news podcast. All right. Best science fiction film. It is up against Ad Astra, which, I mean, I'm sorry, Lucy and Sky. Like, we're going to, we're, we're not going to campaign for you because you shouldn't beat Ad Astra. Um, Gemini Man, uh, Poor Ang Lee's Gemini Man. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Bet you thought you were done with that. No, it's still there. It's still nominated for things. Tenet, which also should beat Lucy in the Sky. And Terminator Dark Fate, which I did not see. So, like... I didn't either. uh, Again, an active case. This is insane to me that the Saturn Awards have nominated Lucy in the Sky. This movie has been dead for decades. All right. Best Actress in a Film, Natalie Portman, is up against... Oh, it's some heavy hitters. Oh, literally almost everybody in this category should beat her. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the ones, <laughs> the like, more minutes. <laughs> the, the, like, the, the, the gray area cases are Daisy Ridley for Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker and, um, uh, Liu Yifei for Mulan as Mulan. But, uh, everybody else should definitely beat her. Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat and Dr. Sleep should beat her. Elizabeth Moss in The Invisible Man should beat her. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey should beat her. Charlize Theron and The Old Guard should beat her. Like, it's, it's rough. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to throw my weight behind Margot Robbie on that one. I mean, but, you know, I'm a, I'm an Elizabeth Moss and a invisible, invisible stand. This is this is truly wild because, like, you're throwing out things that are within like a year and a half of each other. Oh yeah, oh yeah, this is crazy. Um, interestingly, in best supporting actress, our girl Old Murph Ellen Burstyn is nominated for Lucy in the Sky. No, Again, yes, she is for Old Dick astronaut Old Dick. Yeah, um, up against, strangely enough, Zazie Beetz. Who was nominated for Joker? God. Um, oh God. Linda Hamilton for Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, all right. There's one fully unhinged one, and not because of the performance. And level, it's but... not Ellen Burstyn in this movie. No, it, because the the most unhinged one in this category is unhinged because of the um the fact that it is 
a Saturn Award nominee at all. Like, it's a genre question. But anyway, um, Linda Hamilton in Terminator Dark Fate. Journey Smollett in Birds of Prey. She's awesome. Actually, you know what? Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the supporting player in Birds of Prey that I would nominate. But anyway, I love Journey Smollett. Um, Anna de Armas and Jamie Lee Curtis from Knives Out, which apparently mysteries count as science fiction. We're still giving awards to Knives Out. I'm saying. But the most unhinged one is Amanda Seyfried from Mank is nominated for a Saturn (laughs) Award. Why? What? You Why? know I you know I love that performance and that movie, but what the fuck is Mank doing as a Saturn nominee? For what's basically encompassing two years of movies. It has four nominations. Best thriller film. Sure. What? Is it? Mank is a comedy. It's not a thriller. Um then for Oldman, for Seyfried, and for the, the score. It's um, Fincher. It's it's. Uh, that, I think that is true. To, I think it's not like to yeah. shit on the Saturns. Uh, yeah, it's because it's a David Fincher movie. Also, every category has six nominees, and there's like twelve different genres that they recognize for best film. Saturn Awards. We should pay more attention to because they're fucking wild for this one. Honestly, what's my oh my god? Their best fantasy film is like eight films. One of which is Sonic the Hedgehog. Everybody's favorite fantasy. Um. <laughs> What are Midsommar is nominated? That was like eight billion years ago. I don't uh, remember Sonic the Hedgehog being in the Ludacris song. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, is nominated. Not fucking, real, not a real movie. Fucking Hobbs and Shaw. The Good Liar is nominated for Best Thriller. <laughs> Good Liar is 12 years old. It's so old. Good God. I love you, Saturn Awards. We are going to pay more attention to you, we're going to make it up to you. Um, so yeah, so Lucy in the Sky still an active awards case in three categories at the Saturn Awards. Let's all pay attention for one point this year when they will announce the winners. Um, if we miss it, the, like nail us on the on the Twitter feed and let us know. All right. The Either other way, we just went through these nominees and these nominees were uh, cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Absolutely. All right. Alliance of Women Film Journalists also nominated uh, this film. It feels like whenever we're mentioning the Alliance of Women's film, Women Film Journalists, it's always about something they were not happy about. And in this case, they were not happy about uh, Lucy in the Sky because they gave it the award for, or no, they only nominated it for, I wonder what it lost to, for most egregious age difference between... Uh, the leading man. And oh, the I don't know if we want to know what the di- the difference is. I'm looking it up, but it's it's probably. Oh, they be say it awful. in the nomination. John Hamm, 48 years old. Zazie Beetz, 28 years old. It is a 20 year time gap or age gap between the two of them. Um, not enough to win. Okay, interestingly enough, the Alliance uh, for Women Film Journalists don't go purely by math because. Their winner is a 22 year age gap, and that that's not as good. Also, as, a TIFF movie. Uh, the Public, uh, the Emilio Estevez movie, The Public, where Emilio Estevez and Taylor Schilling have 22 years between them. That one, even though the age gap between Eddie Murphy and Divine Joy Randolph in Dolomite Is My Name is 25 years. But also, Dolomite is oh, a good Divine Joy Randolph. Yeah. I didn't realize she was that much younger than Eddie Murphy. Um, Dolomite Is My Name is a great movie, though. These other two will she definitely lose in the skies. Now. All right. So anyway... Women film journalists did not like that about Lucy in the Sky. So that one they did lose. So Emilio Estevez has a, has an award that Lucy in the Sky could have won now. So yeah, that was the only award season attention that this movie got. 
and very quickly forgotten. Very, very quickly forgotten. So what else is there really to say about this? Again, Reese apparently was going to actually play the Lucy role, but she's dropped out to do season two of Big Little Lies. Was that better? Marginally so, I would say. For maybe just the first episode of the se- of that season. That first episode is decent. Oh, like, I mean, I, I rag on that second of Meryl season. that season, going from like the yeah. scene with Reese, where uh, it, there it's like in the little outdoor coffee shop. That scene is incredible. And then like after that, Meryl just like falls off a cliff. The fact that we didn't get um, Reese throwing an ice cream cone at Meryl Streep uh, is what made that season uh, go from promising to not good. No, I like I rag on Big Little Lies season two, mostly because I loved season one so much and I really did not feel like se- a season two was necessary. And when it was a disappointment, I uh, got kind of told you so about it. But there were good things about it. Like there were. I mean, you know, I think they sort of they they gave into the memification of Laura Dern's character in that season in a way I found a little irksome where they were just like, Oh, like everybody on Twitter is in love with Laura Dern. We're going to give that to them in spades. We're going to give them, I will not, not be rich. We're going to give them her like going full breaking dishes on, uh, her husband's kind of man cave or whatever. I don't think it added up to much. And it didn't give Reese's character anything interesting to do. And I was very much a Madeline uh, person for that first season. I thought she was so amazing. The best stuff that Madeline got to do was she was really the main adversary to Meryl. The problem was Meryl was a bad villain. Yeah. Yeah, not my favorite Meryl performance. Unfortunately. Um... Yeah, it was not a good season. So anyway, Reese decided to do that instead of Lucy in the Sky. Probably the better, probably better. I don't think everybody views Big Little Lies season two as much of a failure as maybe we do. So I think Reese HBO probably doesn't because they got people to watch it. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, again, I don't think Reese makes Lucy in the Sky any better. I think Reese just sort of gets taken down in a way that Natalie gets taken down in this movie. But all all right, here's what I'm going to throw out there. Natalie Portman, Reese Witherspoon together in a movie. Oh, absolutely. What? What's the movie? What's the story? I don't care what the movie is. Are they rival um, authors? Or like, are they... Lesbians in a period drama? Yes. Are they... Uh, anything. I don't they care. Are, they are anything. mothers of uh, two high school boys who want to go to prom in a musical uh, uh, where Hollywood stars come to try and throw them a prom. I don't know. Um, <laughs> just throw it out there. Just throwing it out there. No, but I was thinking like moms, like moms of like, what if they were like the mom of like love Simon and love Simon's boyfriend. Do you know what I mean? Like one of those kind of things where like, what's their story. They get a whole story and it's just like Barb and star go to Vista Del Mar, but about like, we're going to talk about our sons are dating now or something like that. I don't know. So, uh, another Natalie Portman stoner comedy. We've had those. They're not very good. What's the other? Your Highness and what? Uh, that one. <laughs> um, no, uh, yes, they should absolutely be screen partners in something that is interesting where they both get to do interesting things. The thing is, I would love to see them together, but like Natalie Portman pretty much does 
Thor movies and star vehicles now. Well, she's so, only gone back to Thor. Like she hasn't done a Thor movie before this one in quite a while, but well, like she made a bunch of interesting movies after Thor the Dark World. Yes, because that's when Jackie happens. Yeah. Lest we I don't forget. know. I mean, like I can't imagine Portman going full Portman opposite Reese. If that makes sense. I mean, that's probably true, and we're probably talking Reese about a television series. a way series. more grounded performer than Natalie Portman is. Oh, yeah. Like, 100%. So Natalie is signed on, according to IMDb, to a Todd Haynes movie. Her... This just got announced. It's part of the can market. So it's like, it's one of those things that it's like, we'll see if it happens. Right. But please, for the love of God. Her and Julianne Moore. Happen. Yeah. Um, She's playing an actress who is going to interview the woman that she is playing, who is played by Julianne Moore in a Todd Haynes movie. Uh, Hopefully this can, uh, it might be some type of lesbian relationship thing. It's like. It's like American Clouds of Sils Maria. I'm into it. That would be amazing. Right? So, yeah, we are eternally optimistic. I'm into the idea of her playing Thor and Thor Love and Thunder. Like she had she was not gonna come back unless it was something interesting. Cause she was done with the MCU. She like, you know, right. barely allowed them to use her likeness in Avengers Endgame. She like fully had like, I think was supposed to be in Age of Ultron, and then she was just like, actually, no, I will not be doing that. And they like had the <laughs> this like little write-around for her. Um I'm I mean, like, if she's going, if she's playing, like, Thor, Thor, and she gets to do some big, uh, like, like I said, the full Portman in some way. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> My only drawback there is it's Taika Waititi again, and he did Thor Ragnarok, which I was, like, the person who, like, normally loves, like, I love the Thor movies that people hated, and I was, like, very, like, kind of hot and cold on Thor Ragnarok, leaning towards cold. And I think a lot of it was this idea that, like, Taika Waititi sort of just comes in and, like, essentially makes a movie for just, like, what if you hated Marvel movies and I'm going to make a Marvel movie? And it's just like, just make another movie then. Just don't make a Marvel movie in that case. Like, peop- like I don't know. I, found I don't it- see Ragnarok in that way. Ragnarok's one of the ones that I've had the most fun at that I appreciated Ugh. the most because, like, it felt more episodic in a way that it's like I didn't have to see 30 movies to appreciate what I appreciated about that one. Ugh, I didn't like it. I thought it was too cool for school. I thought it wasted Kate Blanchett. I, I, I thought know. it was fun. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, yeah. We just wrote. I mean, like the. Uh, I'm not bringing up uh, Martin Scorsese calling them amusement park rides, but it is one of the most apt comparisons I've ever heard because we all love amusement rides. That's no, all we you don't expect from them. I don't. Well, fine. Um. But, like, that's what they are, and it's like, I don't want to, th- I don't care to think too deeply about them, but, like... But that's also Ragnarok a thing that people like about them, though, is the thing. This is why I sort of, like, this is the thing where it's just, like, this is where the amusement park ride thing falls apart. Yes, people who get into MCU stuff get into it because they like thinking about the interconnections and the mythology. They definitely like don't that. think of it as disposable. Right. But that's what... 
that's what an amusement park ride is. It's like right. you go, you have a good time, and you are completely unaffected by it 10 minutes later. But that's what I'm saying, though, is the people who really like them don't think about them that way. Like, you may, but, like, that's not everybody. Martin Scorsese might, mm. but, like, that's not everybody. I find the interconnectedness of it exhausting. I just want right. to see the ones that I might be interested but in. But what I'm saying is I think the interconnectedness is a big part of the appeal for me. And so that's what I'm cool. saying. Anyway, Taika Waititi anyway, is stupid. We are not a Marvel podcast. We no. will never be a Marvel podcast. No, no. God, who has the time? Genuinely, who has the time? Um, but yeah, excited for Natalie to play the Mighty Thor. That'll be cool. Excited for Natalie Portman in a Todd Haynes movie. Please, for God, the, let God, that happen. What voodoo doll do I need to buy? For God's sake, let that happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Do we have anything? Actually, let me go through my little... My little notebook, because I definitely had... I wrote down a bunch of, like, quotes, because there's some, like, really, really ridiculous, like, lines of dialogue in this thing. Um, Nana says... In a Dairy Queen, I would like to solve the puzzle. That astronaut (laughs) dick has made you soft serve. Oh, I kind of wrote down... I was said, is Zazie Beetz her Mila Kunis in this movie? Like, is she... Like, for a second there, it felt like we were, like, like, brushing up against a kind of... Like, the thing where, like, where she's on the track... And she like bumps into Zazy Beats, and then Zazy Beats is like showing her up in the pool and whatnot. And I'm just like, wait a second here. I've seen this movie before. And it is Mila Kunis being a better ballerina than uh than Natalie Portman. All right. Um, I said, imagine cuckolding Dan Stevens for John Hamm. Couldn't be me. Um Nana says frisbees are for dogs. <laughs> the fuck does that mean? Um well, because she's going, uh, she says to go throw a frisbee, and then she says frisbees are for dogs. The scene where she's in the pool and she almost like dies or whatever because she's got the the breach in her suit and her mask is filling up with water, and she won't get out of the pool until she's finished her assignment. And they kept, I think it's like Jeffrey Donovan or whatever. Somebody's just like, she's refusing to let go, and they say it like multiple times. It was like, yes, we get it. She's refusing to let go. She won't let go of like being in space or whatever. Um, oh God, the Dan Stevens line where he's talking, he and Natalie are telling Zazie Beats about how they met at the cafeteria, and he says, she helped me open a bottle of ketchup. I have weak hands. Again, we get it. Like, he's a soft <laughs> little, like, weak-handed man. Like, Jesus, he could never no, be an astronaut Holly. with weak hands. Yeah. Take a screenwriting class. Oh, Natalie Portman, I think when she's talking to the niece... Maybe. When she says, why did the chicken cross the road? How bad did she want it? I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> why? And later she says, why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. To get to the other side. It's like, Noah Holly, please direct yourself uh, into the, the jokey. Yeah. Um, and then the thing where she draws the, the bug spray on John Hamm and she says, for the benefit of all mankind, where... Uh, which I believe was something that they said in the moon landing, or maybe perhaps that's like a NASA motto or something. Anyway, it was a lot. Um, do you have anything to say about Lucy in the sky before we move on to the IMDb? Game? Her name is Lucy Cola. Don't know where I find her on the freestyle Coke machine. <laughs> what does a Lucy Cola taste? Well, like? now the AMC people have to make your freestyle cola for you, and it's taken all of the fun out of freestyle. It's such a bummer. Like I the get Lucy it. Cola is you get like uh, what do they call those? Like the suicide of all of the like not good 
sodas from the freestyle machine. It's the dregs. It's just like it's the cherry coke that's like half like it's mostly water now because like there's no uh mm-hmm. you know they've run out of cherry coke. Yeah. No, it's Mixed sad. With just a club soda and like The whole point of a coke freestyle machine is you get to be as obnoxious and indulgent as you want cuz no one is there to see how awful you're being when you're putting like a drop of Mr. Pib in with like a drop of, you know, peach diet sprite or whatever but now you have to like buy your cup at the one concession stand and then go to the freestyle stand and like doing in your freestyle sir well this is what i'm saying is like now all of a sudden freestyle because of like covid protocols or whatever but now i have to like go to the freestyle and like sort of sheepishly just be like diet coke please because like i'm not going to be like you know half diet coke half cherry coke like a squirt of hawaiian punch or whatever the fuck and no, I don't do You're that. You're putting a squirt of Hawaiian No, I'm in- saying the whole point of freestyle is you can be a psycho if you want to be. And now who has the courage to be a psycho in that in that uh setup? Nobody. No, I put Hawaiian punch with Sprite sometimes. That's normal. Cuz that's like punch cuz it feels like that's actual normal. punch. Yeah. Um no, my normal freestyle was always um uh diet cherry vanilla half diet cherry vanilla coke half just regular diet coke because you don't want too much of the cherry vanilla it tastes like chemicals i refuse to get a soda that i can actually get elsewhere in the world it has to only be available on a freestyle machine. so what is your so freestyle like, what is your freestyle order i do love this is like the, the third time in a row that you've like called my my order for something boring <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> what is no, your freestyle I- you rebel of a person I like to get like a raspberry Coke Zero or like a uh, mellow yellow Zero Citrus Twist. That's a really good one. I didn't know they still made mellow yellow. Mellow yellow is delicious. You is it? get in on this. Ugh. I don't know. That's one of those where just the color of it scares me. Um, yeah, it's basically science sludge. Yes. But um yeah. yeah, like I my my Coke freestyle selection has to be something that I couldn't go like get a can of. But like I can't get a can of like diet cherry vanilla coke. Like you can. Not really. Most stores do not carry that. You can get it in a zero. Maybe. This is a wild episode. Really, imagine how we don't want to talk about Lucy in the Sky. Imagine to the degree to which we don't talk, <laughs> want to talk about this movie. All right. We can move on to the IMDb game. Yeah, tell the kids how uh, we how we do. Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If uh, any of those are titles are television, voiceover performances, or non-acting credits, we will mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. I have a question because we have changed the copy and we've kind of changed the rules for non-acting credits, right? Yes, yes. If it is both, like I gave you. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna like. No, I think it only counts if it's Charlize if... Theron for Tully. You're counting the acting performance, right? And maybe after we get the years, you can say if it's a film that they are not an actor in. That's why I said non-acting credits. That's why I put it that way. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, because normally I don't even look. Robert that close. Redford, Ordinary People. Right. Exactly. That's exactly it. Just so it's again, all it is about is not like misleading. The other person while we're doing this. Anyway, yes, that is the IMDb game. So, Chris, would you like to guess first or give first? I'm going to give first this time, I feel. All right. 
So we've been talking about uh, Noah Hawley and some of his television credits, including the television program Legion. The thing that I remember people saying about Legion, but it was that it was bad, except for this performer... Uh, who am I talking about? I am talking about Aubrey Plaza, the great Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. Plaza. Right. Here's the thing. There is no television in her known for. Okay, that's that's too far. That's crazy. Okay. I mean, here's the other thing, is that, like, the most sort of prominent thing she's done lately in a movie has been... um the what the fuck is the christmas movie the clea duval christmas movie which is like a hulu thing and again streaming doesn't really appear on imdb very much on imdb game we should say all right what was it not almost christmas happiest season happiest season thank you that was cute it feels like it eagerly looking forward to uh people debating if it's terrible or not every year just like they do with the family stone uh, will people be less satisfied about saying that it sucks the way that they are about love, act- love Actually? I feel like some people get more joy out of saying that they hate Love Actually than they do actually about things that they actually enjoy. During the holiday season? Yes. Like, they like, just, shut like... Shut up and go The rush of endorphins that go people seem happy. to get when they, like, tell people this daring opinion of theirs that they think Love Actually is terrible. I am so impressed, by the way. Anyway, um, all right, Aubrey Plaza. Scott Pilgrim? No. Yeah, it's too small of a role. Um, oh, 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 um, Life After Beth? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. She's uh, at least a lead in that one. Yes, she's a titular character. Um, your years are 2012, 2013, 2016, and 2017. Oh, well, one of them is... Uh, um, oh, fuck. Why can't I think of any titles now? The uh, social media one. Um, You're getting there. With Elizabeth Olsen, who fucking rules in that movie. Um, I would say they both do. They do, but I think Elizabeth Olsen is, is, is better. Um uh, that was a divisive movie that people do not uh, all agree on. Um, what I the understand fuck was it if anybody hates or loves that movie. Yeah. Also, she is the titular character. I was going to say, this is also, there's a, there's a person's name in the title. Oh my god. She is perhaps going somewhere. Oh, Ingrid Goes West, thank you. Ingrid um, Goes West. I kept wanting to say Liza for some reason, and I was just like, no. Alright, that's the 2017? Yes. Yeah. All right. 2012, 2013, 2015? 16. 16. All right. Aubrey Plaza. Only one of these is she not one of the first to build. One, she is definitely first build. It's like a movie centered around her. The second she is... Actually, I think she might be first build in this, but she's like one of two lead characters. Yeah, she was first billed in that movie. Um, and then the other one, the 2016 movie, I'll give it to you as 2016. It is a January movie. She is not named on the poster. This is like, this was a fairly reviled uh, movie. Is that the one about like something, something need wedding dates or something like that? No. She's in that movie though, right? She is. Huh. 
you're not far off in terms of like dude humor. Oh God. So like January of 2016. I mean, that's not going to help me. Right. Probably dude humor though could help me. So like miles teller intergeneration, uh, Adam De- intergenerational. Um, I wonder if this was AARP movie for Grown Up nominated for Best Intergenerational Story. It was not, unsurprisingly. Oh, God. Is it uh, Dirty Grandpa? It is Dirty Grandpa. Christ. All right. (laughs) Okay, so you still have 2012, 2013. I will say 2013 is the one where she's like the headliner. The movie's all around her. Um, And it's a sex comedy. She was in a lot of sex comedies. Well, we can come back to it. 2012, I think you'll get first. It, it it was a Sundance movie from a now very reviled director. Safety not guaranteed. Safety not guaranteed. I always get that movie weirdly confused with uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever. Which I kind of liked. Which I kind maybe. of liked, but like has yeah. been totally forgotten. Safety not guaranteed, I did not care for. No, I didn't either. Um, I thought I was I was set up to like that movie a lot more than I was going to. All right, 2013. Sex okay, so th- it's a sex comedy. She is basically playing like a nerd virgin who uh, wants to uh, accomplish some uh, tasks before uh, she goes to college. Oh, what is- do you do if you have tasks? If you have tasks, yeah. How would you co- how would you go about completing your tasks? What might be the first step you do um, with your tasks? Prepare for them. Uh, <laughs> well, you'd have to kind of like figure out what they all are, right? So you oh, would make something. You'd make a list. Yes. What kind of list? The sex for your list. <laughs> uh, uh, imagine it was not sex things you were doing with this list. Your laundry list, your grocery list, your your to-do list. What if you put laundry and grocery on all the same list? What would you probably call that list? Like a like a to-do list. Exactly. The to-do list. Is that what that movie was? I have very, very yes. little recollection of that movie. <laughs> very little. Is that was Kristen Bell in that one, or did she have her own sort of movie? This like sex comedy around that time. Uh, let me look and see. I only remember Aubrey Plaza being in this movie. Yeah. But I don't think I saw all of it. That's a dumb known for. All of those four and not Parks and Recreation. INDB, you're insane. You're so dumb. Sorry. No, like, you were, yeah, if you were wondering before this whether this was going to be too hard or too easy, it was too hard. Um, Well, I thought, I potentially thought it would be too easy because without the TV, because she does have a lot of TV. Yeah. Uh, I thought there weren't a lot of movies. Aubrey Plaza's known for should be Parks and Recreation, Ingrid Goes West, Happiest Season, and Scott Pilgrim. Like, that should be maybe Legion. Throw maybe Legion in there. But, like, that's it. Who do you have for me? Okay. So, um, the most joy I got in this whole preparation for this episode was watching the Ava DuVernay, uh, Noah Hawley thing on THR, so I decided to go down the Ava DuVernay route, because why not allow her to continue to eat his lunch? Um, Amazing. So so I chose somebody from uh, the film Selma, that I very, very much enjoyed. 
Uh, a very large, very good cast. Indeed. Plates Coretta Scott King in Selma. I'm giving you <sighs> Ms. Carmen Ejogo. I fucking love her. Yeah. So much. So much. Uh, we want more and even better for Carmen Jogo. Yes. Selma's got to be on there. Correct. Selma is on She's there. She's probably second build in that movie. Yeah, I would think, yes. I feel like this showed up for somebody that I either was looking at recently or gave to you. Is it, um, it comes at night on there. I sometimes, I know you would never cheat, but like sometimes... I really have to like think on that because why would you know that it comes at night would be on I like that movie. <laughs> I've defended that movie. I don't like that movie. I thought that movie was a big old disappointment from Krisha Guy. Um but yes, that is on her air known for it comes at night. I think that movie was not marketed very well. I think that movie is one of those movies that that takes it too far the whole notion of we're going to make the entire movie one big held breath for a thing, and then it just never comes. It just like there's no payoff. I mean, like I hate to be like this is another movie about grief, but like I think there's uh-huh. tangents away from that that the movie like actually is. I don't really think it's even much of a horror movie. I just thought it was good. but it's beyond marketing when you have a movie called It Comes at Night that is like that much of like dark spaces and like you know external threats and whatever like he knew he was making a horror movie you know what i mean he knew he was making something with all the trappings of a horror movie and i thought it was like a certain language it felt it felt a little tragedy it felt a little i'm gonna try and outsmart people by making this thing Anyway, I also think he's kind of a brat like that. He impresses me as being very much kind of a brat, even though Krisha was awesome. I have no, I I have many brat filmmakers that I like their movies. Um, anyway, um, uh, she's in the alien movie. She's an alien covenant. She is. It's not on the, it's not on her IMDb, but she's definitely. Yeah, people forget about that alien movie. That was a frustrating Um, movie. There were parts of that that I really liked and parts of it that really made me mad. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm all for the alien movies being less and less crowd pleasery and doing, like, weird shit like that well, movie does. Good news, because the last few have been not very crowd pleasery <laughs> at all. <laughs> okay. Um, 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 Roman J. Israel. No. She's like third she rules in that. in that, but no. That movie's that great. That movie's good. She it's is really great. good. That's one of Denzel's best. Colin Farrell rules in that. She rules. Yes. All right. So that's two strikes. Your other two are 2009 and 2016. 09 has to be Away We Go. Yes. This is the first thing I ever saw her in. She plays Maya Rudolph's sister. They have a... Mad I didn't get that before. Super lovely scene where they just, like, have this, like, most... They just sit in a bathtub. Sit in a bathtub, like a dry bathtub, and just, like, talk about their parents being dead and have such a relaxed and easy sister chemistry. And you know how much sibling shit, like I am such a sucker for sibling stuff in movies <laughs> and I want them to play sisters again in something else because they were so good at it. Anyway. Yes. Away we Wonderful. Go. Yes. What was my other year? 2016. Okay. So the worst of the bunch. Selma, <laughs> worst of the bunch. Yeah. You like it less than it comes at night after you just drag the movie. Yes. Okay. Was she in like a bad action movie that I'm 
maybe didn't see. You know about this movie, and I'm pretty sure you know that she's in it. Really? Yeah. She's like sixth or seventh build, but like she's definitely in it. She was definitely in the trailer. Even if you didn't see this movie, which you probably didn't, you probably saw her for a second in the trailer. Okay. She's, I'm pretty sure, also in its sequel. This is a franchise or it's just a movie with a sequel? No, it's a franchise. Yes, she is in the okay. sequel. Um, from 2016. It's not the sequel, it's the original. It won an Oscar. For 2016. Yes. Uh-uh. Yeah, you got it. Uh. You got it. Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Carmen Ajogo plays the president of American Wizards or whatever. Um, the first one is whatever. It's It was like... Not exciting, but like right. inoffensive. The sequel is one of the worst movies I've, I've ever not seen. seen in a the theater. sequel. I it one of the worst movies I've ever seen in, yeah. a, in a theater. Her character name in uh, Fantastic Beasts is Serafina Pickery. Sure, because why not? Why not? All right. Yes, Carmen Ajogo, a much more intuitive known for even with that one on it than uh, Aubrey Plaza. I will say. I thought I'd had the it, it Comes at Night conversation with you recently, but maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was me and I just I, I forgot it. But I that could was, also rewatch the movie and that realize one. that I'm full of crap and that is not good, but I, I well, remember and, that. And I could watch it and, 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 and you know, like it. <laughs> and change your time. mind. It's got such a good cast. It's one of those movies, again, I'm such a sucker for good casts. And like that one where like Christopher Abbott, you know how much I love Christopher Abbott, Riley Keough, Calvin Harrison, like... It's a great cast. Joel Edgerton, like, I wanted more from it. I really did. Anyway, that, no, you know what conversation we had was, it wasn't this movie, but it was another movie that disappointed me in a very similar way, um, was the Jeff Nichols movie. Which Jeff Nichols movie? With Michael Shannon and, and, uh, oh, uh, and Jaden, Jaden Lieber. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Midnight Special. Yeah. I, I don't actually think that's a bad comparison in terms of like those are movies that are like people probably expect them to behave a certain way yes as a genre movie and they don't and they're like interested in other things and i i will give you that i just wish that again i feel like both of them well midnight special tries for something and i don't think it pulls it off unfortunately it comes at night just like declines to do anything like i really do feel like that movie just like Makes you hold your breath and hold your breath and hold your breath and then it's end credits. And I was literally just so mad. Um, <laughs> anyway. All right. This is a good That's episode. Our episode. That's our episode on Lucy in the Sky. Uh, if you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, I think I know where to follow, find you on uh, social media, but why don't you tell those people? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. You can find my alt account at Astronaut Dick. Um, <laughs> Your OnlyFans, Astronaut Dick. <laughs> my OnlyFans, Astronaut Dick. Um, Jesus. No. Um, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. 
Very good. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm on Letterboxd as uh, Joe Reed spelled the same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, the absolutely wretched Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, <laughs> Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. Seriously, Apple Podcasts, get your shit together. Stop draining my precious battery every time I try to listen to a podcast on you. And just fucking figure it out. Anyway, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts really helps us out. So take a break from all that astronaut dick and write something nice about us, won't you? Uh, that is all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more bugs. Everyone's a